This is Trail Tales, a running podcast. Here are your hosts, Sean Soban and David Waters. We'll discuss everything to do about running. It doesn't matter if you're a new runner or an experienced racer. The stories and guests at Trail Tales ARP will keep you entertained. From the trails to the road to the track. If it's running, find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 1 of Trail Tales ARP. That's right, the calendar and the leaves that are changing colors tell me that it is fall, and naturally, we're going to transition into our next season of the show, which will take us through fall and winter. So looking forward to running in the the crisp, cool air of fall and on the crisp, clean snow of winter when that time comes. Um, Some big news recently. Our podcast now is available on Amazon Music that just released a new podcast feature. It is brand new, so it is only available in the United States, the UK, Japan, and Germany right now, and they're hoping to expand. So if you listen to us from any of those countries, you can check us out on Amazon. So that's really cool. Today's guest um, is named David Kempston. He is from Minnesota, and he has been a runner for over 40 years. Uh, by profession, he is a lawyer, but he is also an author and he has written a book that is available on Amazon and the link is in the show notes and it is called Lessons Learned on the Run. And we talk about that and talk about what his experiences have been in running for the past 40 years and running with several generations. Uh, he comes from a very similar climate to me, so we had a lot in common, had a good chat about um running gear in the winter and and how to dress appropriately for that and how to not dress appropriately for that weather as well. So everybody, I hope you enjoy the show and we will take you through it. Special thanks to Sobon Copywriting for sponsoring this show and helping maintain our website. Uh, If you want to check them more out, you can visit the website. It's leahsobon.com. And for all of you writers out there who are also runners, if you go to leahsoban.com right now, there are a few spots available for her free online beta course about writing great content every time. So leahsoban.com and check that out and sign up while you still can. Run wild, everybody. Enjoy season four, episode one, starting off with David Kempston. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Trail Tales ARP. I'm flying solo today, and I am your host, Sean Sobon. Today is going to be a great episode. We have our first ever author on the show with us, and his name is David Kempston. He is a trial lawyer by profession. He's an author, and he is a lifelong runner. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. So just so everybody knows geographically, you're in Minnesota, in the great state of Minnesota. You didn't quite say it right. It's Minnesota. There Minnesota. You go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of, it. was it Wayne's World when Alice Cooper was there? He said, it's Milwaukee. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I had uh, an uncle. He lives in uh, Colorado now in Boulder, but uh, they lived in Minnesota uh, for many years Minnesota when I was younger and I was a big fan of the Minnesota North Stars. 
yes. back then and they moved to Dallas. So um, I'm going to ask, do you watch hockey? And if you do, are you a Minnesota wild guy or do you still have a place in your heart for the North Stars? Still have a place in my heart for the North Stars. I have a North Star hat and I have a North Star a long sleeve shirt that I'll run in occasionally. There, you know, the sport equipment, the logo, it, you'll still see lots of it around the Twin Cities area, which is what we call Minneapolis-St. Paul, even though the current version is are the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, it's uh, it was a great logo and a great team. So, um, yeah, there's my hockey question out of the way. <laughs> so. So Dave, you've been uh, you've been a runner for over forty years, which is a year longer than I've been alive. <laughs> Put things in perspective. Um, I guess why did you start running? So I was eight or nine years old, and my dad would run pretty regularly, and he ran a race in. We lived in Spokane, Washington at the time, and Lilac Bloomsday Run was very popular, still is, but it was very popular. And so one year dad said, Hey Dave, you, you want to run this thing with me? And so I said, sure. And then he said, well, you'll have to train. And that was news to me. Um, at the time it was about eight miles. And so I began running at a very young age with my dad and would run with him after school. And, um, you know, I have run through the present time. I mean, it's, it's not accurate to say that, you know, I'm one of those guys who ran every day for 40 years. There have been periods where I didn't run, uh, but I've been characterized by running for 40 years. And especially in the last couple of decades, um, as I've gotten older, it gives me more and more comfort. <laughs> so I do it more frequently, I suppose. Well, I do it less than I did when I was a younger man, but I'm, I'm more consistent with my running in my middle years. Yeah, it's... Uh it's interesting to say that, you know, it kind of makes you comfortable, brings you comfort. Um, for me, a lot of times when I'm out on a run, it's, it's almost that, that sense of freedom or if you're feeling kind of, um, I don't know, just mentally distraught for whatever reason. I mean, sometimes, you know, I've got a house with, with young children in it and sometimes I can't see my floor from all the toys and things. And then for me, that's like an internal chaos where I can't think. So, um, you know, after, I make them help me clean up the house. You get out for a run. It kind of just helps you release all that, that chaotic energy that was kind of overpowering you in the moment, you know? Absolutely. A, a good word for it is catharsis. And, yes. You know, there was a study put out by the American Bar Association about three years back because as a group of people, lawyers tend to be neurotic, medicated, you know, depressed, unhappy. The uh, Hollywood stereotypes often hold true. And so the ultimate conclusion by the American Bar Association was that to be a good lawyer, you needed to be a healthy lawyer. And it's like, oh, it took you guys 100 plus pages to figure that out. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, you know, part of, part of being a healthy person is having a happy place. And, you know, what I mean by that is a place that just like you described, Sean, where you go and you're getting away and... Um, Winston Churchill really nailed this in a wonderful book published in 1965 called Painting as a Pastime. And he said to be really, really happy. And Winston could say really, really in one sentence in writing and it was acceptable. The rest of us can't do that. But, but Sir Winston could. To be really, really happy, a person needs to have two or three bona fide hobbies. Um, and he goes on to say, and that's because a change is as good as a rest. 
And his idea there is for people who are busy, and this is especially true in the modern age. You ever talk to anybody who says, no, I'm not busy. I mean, people love to brag about how busy they are, complain about how busy they are, commiserate about how busy they are. We get the idea. People are busy. Mm-hmm. And so for busy people, we need to have refuge. We need to have a happy place. We need to have something that restores our soul, that recreates, and that has that function of your recreation, but also recreation within us. And so for me, that's been the thing that's kept me running all of these years. My, I've been married for 31 years, best decision I ever made. And my wife will often go, I just don't get it, Dave. And what she's talking about is my strange emotional bond to running. And I think, you know, not only does it have this present effect that's beneficial, but it also has this deep tie into my past. You know, I'm, I'm the nine-year-old kid who's, you know, trying to keep up with his old man running up Waikiki Boulevard in Spokane, Washington, crying because I ate ice cream cone right after school. And dad said, don't run, you're going to regret it. You know, I mean, I can go in my mind and I can be there quickly. So running has this interesting impact on me. I, I go there. It's almost like when you hear that old song that you loved from high school or from 20 years ago, and it instantly it transports you back to somewhere else. Running has that impact on me sometimes. I can I can see that, especially because you started at such a young age, and and what a great way to start to to share that experience with your father. And uh, I imagine you guys have had uh, a lot of runs together over the years. We have the last one. My daughter. I have four children. I now have four grandkids. So feel free to call me Grandpa Dave. But <laughs> my last run with my dad was on my my daughter got married about a year and a half ago and it was January, but it wasn't brutal January. There was a kind of a warm up, if you will. And it was probably in the twenties and dad and I ran around a trail. I've I've run five K I've raced five K's on it. I've, I've run around this trail a lot. It's a popular running area. And my dad was 75 and, you know, so I'm pointing out the ice and this here, watch out for this, watch out for this. It was, And I thought to myself, as I'm running with him, I'm a grandpa myself, and I'm running with my dad. And how awesome is that? I mean, what a great gift. You you get the idea. Yeah, I do. I do. And to call it a gift is, is I think, you hit the nail right on top of the head. Um, You know, I I recently lost my dad two years ago, and he wasn't a runner or anything like that. I actually got inspired to run. Um, in my teenage years, I was introduced to it with my older brother who was, uh, into fitness and exercise. And, you know, I remember my first run with him thinking, wow, we just made, made it 20 minutes. And then, you know, I kind of flirted with it here and there. And then I really got into running about eight years ago for my own health and, and as a father myself and everything. So, but I've, I've often thought of it as a gift, the, the ability to be able to get that, get out there and run. And when I started running, my only goal was to carry on with it until my body wouldn't let me do it anymore. And, you know, to be able to do that with your father and then with your daughter on the same run is, is quite remarkable and, and, and a gift for certain. Yeah. I feel blessed that way. I, I've had a lot of injuries over the years just because of being pigheaded and not listening to my body. And so there have been seasons of inactivity and most recently I was approaching 50 and I, I had set some goals in terms of what I wanted to be able to do. And I was doing a lot of speed work and I was doing a lot of speed work on a track. And sure enough, I got injured because that's what I do. (laughs) And so my Achilles 
did not cooperate. And, you know, once I was getting back to running again, I realized yeah, I'm so fortunate because a number of my friends who have run over the years have been put on the shelf because of an orthopedic problem that you know, wasn't something that you could run through. And the older I get, I realize, you know, each run is a gift and to enjoy it because, David, you may not get to run again. So, you know, breathe in deeply and enjoy the moment. Yeah, so very true and great advice. Um, do you, do you, David, do you prefer running on the road or do you get out to trails where you are? You know, I'm a mix. There's a wonderful, not quite 10 acre park. That's about four miles from my house, <clears throat> excuse me. And it's called Highland Hills and it's not Colorado esque <laughs> in terms of the, you know, when you say Hill in Minnesota, <laughs> okay. it's <laughs> But it's got some decent elevation and there's a wonderful, uh, they used to run a race out there called trail mix on, um, 15 K and just a great, great place to run. Cause there's a little ski hill there and you, you, know, you might in a, say you run seven and a half miles and you're on the trails, you'll climb 900 feet, which isn't bad. You know, it's not, I mean, again, it's not Colorado, but so I love to go out there and run. It's soft. It's very peaceful. It's um, forest bathing, if you will. I mean, it's wonderful to go over and run at the park. And I'm fortunate because I have a friend I've been running with for not quite two decades. So we'll meet out there and run. And it, you know, here we are in a large metropolitan area in the center, you know, upper Midwest in the United States. And here is this park that's 10 acres that, you know, and if you don't want to run on the trails, you can, you can hit the paved sections of the park. But the trails are awesome and people, it's just not very crowded. You know, most people don't want to go run nasty hills <laughs> on, on dirt trails. And um, I, I happen to like hills, so I, we, we go there a lot. Yeah, that's, that's something you and I share in common is I saw a survey somewhere and they were asking, do you prefer to run uphill or downhill or both? And I'm definitely an uphill kind of guy as myself. I find the downhills, it's almost like uh, I'm just too scared of falling on my face, I guess, going down the hill if it's pretty steep. And I just, I, I feel like when I'm going uphill, I've got something to, something to hold on to with my legs and my feet and propel myself up a hill, you know? Yeah, I, I love hills. I, in my book, Lessons Learned on the Run, I actually have a chapter called On Inclines. And my kids tease me. They're a little bit, they're a little bit older now. My oldest will be 30 here soon. But um, I, I coined a phrase a bunch of years ago called hill hunting. And if we would go camping or traveling somewhere, I would look for the steepest hill and, and go back later and run it. And the children are like, Dad, you're, there's something wrong with you. But um, I... <laughs> I've always liked hills for, for some strange reason and yeah, continue, continue to like them. Yeah. So you, so you mentioned your book, uh, congratulations, by the way, lessons learned on the run, a book about running and life and it's available on Amazon and I'll link that in the show notes for everybody. Um, so what inspired you to run this book or to write this book rather, were you on a run one day and just thought, Hey, you know what? I'm going to write a book about this journey that I'm on. Uh, great question. And the answer is rather humorous. It was procrastination that inspired me. <laughs> and I know you think, okay, where's he going with this? So I was writing my first book. Um, I'm a trial lawyer and I've tried a lot of cases. I've tried over 400 cases in the last almost three decades. And so I've spent a lot of time in the courtroom and uh, over the years, just 
developed a philosophy of litigation, learned learned a lot. That's why they call it practicing law. They don't call it perfecting law because you never quite get there. So I, I wrote a book. Uh, my first book was called That's Why They Call It Practicing Law. And I wrote it about three and a half years ago, four and, four and a half to three and a half years ago in that window. And I was finishing that up and I was out for a run one winter day. And all of a sudden, my muse just lit me up. And I had this, this idea. Oh, my goodness. Um, I have this wonderful idea for uh, a book on running. And so I pulled out my dictaphone as soon as I got in the car. Uh, after I, I sent an email to myself on my iPhone. and then But I pulled out my dictaphone and I just dictated thought after thought after thought after thought, like for just going for 15 minutes. And my administrative assistant typed it up for me, gave me a mean look, gave it back to me. <laughs> and that was the genesis. And then I, then I said, no, David, you are procrastinating. You need to finish your lawyer book. You put this running book somewhere else. And so I put those ideas in a file folder. And then over the next two or three years when I would run, and now not on hard runs, because um, on hard runs, I'm mostly just thinking about surviving, <laughs> like, like this morning, but... And I should call it a perceived hard run. At my age, I don't know if you run hard. It's it's my perception that I'm running hard. But if it's not a perceived hard run, then I find that running really does something for my creative juices. And so over the next couple of years, after I had that initial brainstorm, I'd be out on a run and an idea would come to me. And the, the premise of the book is that running is a great metaphor for life. So that the hills and valleys of running, you know, the pain, the struggle, the victory, that all mirrors life. And there's much to be learned. I mean, putting it a different way, running is a great life coach. And she's got a lot of wisdom to share if you're willing to learn. So the, it's just pretty humorous that the running book was basically a period of procrastination regarding my lawyer book. And finally, I said, knock it off. Dave finished the other book, got it done. And then I... You know, our brains are like slow cookers, I think. And what I mean by that is if you load up some ideas and let them sit there for a while and percolate, a lot of times I think our subconscious will work on them and they'll brew and stew and bubble up, if you will. And so I ended up with all of these thoughts that were mostly generated when I would run in the morning because um, I'm a morning runner. And if I didn't have a hearing that day or I wasn't thinking about a deposition or how I was going to present a particular issue in the courtroom or relative to a case, a lot of times I'd be thinking about ideas for my running book. And finally I thought, okay, Dave, you got enough ideas here. And then I organized them and, you know, worked it into, into book shape. Wow. It's uh, it, it, it's very interesting, you know, I've, I've experienced that where you kind of hit with some inspirations while you're on the run. And uh, I mean, I never really follow through with them. Actually, that is a bit of a lie. This podcast was something that was kind of always on the back of my mind or simmering in that slow cooker, as you put it. And then uh, one day I connected with, uh, with my co-host, David, and he's a runner. And um, I just said to him one day, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? His answer was all the time. So I said, well, then I think we should start one. And that's kind of how we started it. But, uh, but absolutely, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I guess just kept persisting in your mind. And you got to that point where you said, enough's enough. Let's, let's pull the trigger on this. Yes. 
Well, yeah. you know, a, a great thing that I will do when I run is if a thought comes to me, I pull out my iPhone and I'll dictate, you know, I'll just send an email to myself. Now, I wrote a rather humorous chapter on distraction. Um, when I was in the Black Hills about five years ago, I ran to what used to be the top of what used to be called Harney Peak, which is a wonderful trail run in the Black Hills in South Dakota. Wonderful run. You start at Lake Sylvan and you go up, I don't know, 1,200, 1,500, 1,800 feet. It's three miles up. It's pretty pretty rough. Yeah. Um, now it's called Black Elk Peak. Anyway, I got to the top. I was all jazzed and I had cell coverage at the top. So I'm emailing clients. I'm taking selfies. My children laugh at me. They're like, dad, you should be a social media manager, you and your selfies. But anyway, <laughs> so I'm, I'm sending selfies to all my friends. I made it. I made it. And I start running down the hill and I'm still texting. Sure enough, you know what happens. I just absolutely wipe out. I about go down this, you know, I didn't almost go off a cliff, but I wipe out terribly and I'm laying on the ground, you know, snapping a selfie laughing and yeah, so my whole point is avoid distractions. Be careful when you run. Pay attention to where you are. Don't do what Dave does. Don't pull out your cell phone your, your iPhone and you know, send yourself an email. But <laughs> if you don't capture that idea, Sean, it's going to go away. Yes. And I have thought of that over and over and over where I was like, oh, what, what was that great thought I had? And I'm not saying you have to contemporaneously record every thought you have. That would be strange. But <laughs> if you have... <laughs> A good thought, especially a creative thought. Get it down. Yeah, absolutely. Get it down and, and see if it's something worth pursuing. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of advice given and stuff and about success. And, and, you know, with every successful person, there is a trail of failures that follows them because not everything's going to take hold. And you don't know, though, unless you try. Right. So I think you've got some very good advice there is if you've got a if you've got a great thought or an idea, something creative, write it down and and see if it's worth pursuing. And, you know, it might it might take traction. It might not. But uh, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't try. Absolutely. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Exactly. Exactly. So we're going to take a real quick break here, Dave. Then we're going to get into your book, uh, Lessons Learned on the Run. And we'll talk about some of those lessons. I hope you're enjoying this first episode of season four with my guest, David Kempston. Come back after the break because there's plenty more great conversation to be had. And take this opportunity to stand up, stretch, shake it out. And if you're running and listening to this, do a quick sprint and then come back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back and we're here with David Kempson and we are talking about his latest book, Lessons Learned on the Run, a book about running and life. And um, Dave, you said earlier running um, is kind of intertwined with life in terms of the lessons and the challenges that it presents to us. Um, and you've touched a little bit on some of the lessons that, that you've kind of learned through the running. Um, but what would you say would be maybe one of your favorite lessons that, that running has, has taught you? Sure. An easy one that I am always telling young lawyers uh, is debt is not your friend. All right. And so I, I wrote a chapter in the book on 
that's entitled Debt is Not Your Friend, and it has to do with oxygen debt. Ah. And, and I got a wonderful description from Dr. Noakes that I dropped in about physically what it is. And, you know, I go at a, at a, at a cellular level what's going on. But you know, if you've ever had, my coach used to call it the bear jumping on your back. And you know, we've all been there where you just go out too fast and all of a sudden, you know, you're grossly anaerobic and you can't maintain it. You know, it's not an issue of discipline or desire. It's just an issue of you, you know, you physically maxed yourself out. So, you know, the idea, okay, so you, we've all, at least most of us, I think have experienced that on a run or in a race. And, but if you run a 5k, I mean, a 5k, a lot of times it's hard to pace yourself. I find this to be especially true as I get older and slower, you know, about every three years, I'm like, I'm noticeably slower than I was three years ago. And so with 5Ks, you'll see, uh, I'm I'm thinking like I'm 35 again. And I go flying out like I'm 35. And oh my goodness, the bill comes due. And so in my job as an attorney, I mentor young lawyers through a couple of the law schools here in the Twin Cities area. And a lot of times, you know, it's not just mentoring them on lawyering, but it's also life issues. And I'm, I'm constantly telling these younger lawyers or law students, you know, be prudent about your debt load. You know, debt is not your friend, whether you're a runner or you're a student in law school or you're a young lawyer who thinks you're going to make a, a jillion dollars until you're spending money you don't have yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, and my book is about 62 chapters like that. They're all just a, a point illustrated by usually a, what I would call a dumb Dave or a humorous Dave story where I learned something the hard way and how it applies more to, you know, the, the larger application. Um, probably my favorite chapter in the book is one that's called parenting on the road. And Cormac McCarthy is one of my favorite authors. I don't know if you've ever read any Cormac McCarthy, but he won a Pulitzer prize for a, a book called the road. And it was made into a TV show, excuse me, it was made into a movie few years back but it's a story of a you know the protagonist is this dad he's taking his son in this dystopian fallen world taking him trying to get into a place of safety and you know if you've got children like i said i've got four and so it, it pulls at your your parental heartstrings because you can identify with this protagonist who's struggling you know on this journey with his child and you know if you have a child or you have more than one kid, you, you realize how hard parenting is. I mean, do you over parent? Do you under parent? You know, we've heard of helicopter parents in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. We've got snowplow parents, you know, they're the ones who clear everything out of the way for their kids. So there's all these different parenting styles and, and anybody who's a parent who is honest will tell you, Hey, I haven't always done it right. Okay. But, but it's really fun when you nail it. It's really, it's, it's very rewarding as a parent when you do it right. Well, I had an experience about five years ago. I ran a 5K with my second born, who's now 28. His name is Brennan. And we'd never run a race together. And we ran a 5K. And um, my wife was chuckling because I sent her some pictures during the race. And she's like, Dave, if you're sending me pictures during a race, you're not really that hard. <laughs> um, but so as I ran with my son, he'd never run a race. So I'm telling him about tangents. I'm telling him about surges. We're, we're doing, you know, doing all these sorts of things. And we, we, we fixed our, our sights on this runner ahead of us in a blue shirt. And 
we spent the entire race trying to reel the blue shirt in. And for some reason we couldn't, we pulled, I pulled all the old guy runner tricks I could think of. And we just, we could not catch this guy. And we get about five minutes, we round the corner. And this was the same pathway trail that I ran with my father on about a year and a half ago. But we, we come around this last, not the last corner, but it's five minutes to go. And Brandon's going, dad, I just don't think I can do this. And I looked at him and I said, sweetheart, Anybody can suffer for five minutes. It's a choice. Let's just choose to suffer. We can do this. And so, you know, he's like, okay. And he stays with me. And, and then as we get closer to the end, I've never been a good kicker. I could feel him getting strong. And, you know, and then I'm like, go ahead, honey, go ahead, run ahead of me. And he's, I don't want to leave you, dad. I'm like, just run ahead. We're good. So he runs ahead. And, um, you know, we ran, I ran like a 2015. He ran like a 20. I think he might've just been, you know, north of 20 something. And, um, we get all done and we're breaking it down. And the dude in the in the blue shirt comes over and goes, he goes, man, he goes, he goes, are you a coach or something? <laughs> I, said, I said, no. I said, I'm just a dad. He goes, well, man, that was just fantastic. He goes, I listened to everything you were telling that young man and I just did it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, no wonder we couldn't catch you. <laughs> so that's probably my my favorite chapter in the book. And the, you know, the whole idea again is just that running really relates to life. It, there's so much to learn if you're if you're willing to be a good student. And there's a lot there. Yeah, I, I, that's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, it's it's amazing how much impact you can have on somebody else's outlook and not even realize it. And that's a great example of it right there where, you know, it's almost like a ripple effect, if you will. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so you have four children and you had mentioned that you've run with five generations of people. So I'm assuming it starts with your father and does it carry on into your grandchildren? Well, it actually goes farther back when I was, oh, wow. you know, in junior high and high school, my grandpa, now he wouldn't run with me, but he would ride a bicycle. He was my self-anointed Sherpa and he'd go, you know, my Sagwag, he'd go get me Hershey bars or <laughs> I did. In high school, I was probably running more miles than I should have, but he would go pedal the bike along when I'd run, you know, longer. I, I remember doing a, a 20 miler on one weekend and he went with me on the bike and he would do that regularly. So he never really ran with me, but he was with me a lot on my runs. Um, in high school. And then I, I, yeah, I ran a lot of miles with my dad and I've run with my own generation. Told you about my running buddy whom I've run with for almost two decades. Yeah. All my children ran with me and um, I have pushed grandchildren <laughs> in strollers. Way to go. Running strollers. And so I feel really fortunate to have that wingspan. And, you know, it's fun that uh, the last race, the last organized race I ran was a 5k about, Three years ago, four years ago, it was a 5K, and um, my granddaughter and my wife were at the finish line, and it was a small 5K, and it was actually the last. I hadn't won, won a race in about 30 years. I won this race. It was an in-house. My son's employer at the time had an in-house 5K. They had about 200, 250 people there, and so I ran. And so at the finish line of the race was my wife and my granddaughter, which you know, that was pretty fun. So that, that is, that is pretty great. Um, there's nothing like knowing that you've got some loved faces waiting for you at the end of a bit of a, of, of a bit of suffering. 
Yes. Yeah. In your in your high school days, um, were you a competitive runner or were you always a runner who just ran for the for the sake of running and for the joy of it? Both. Um, I ran track and cross country all the way through and it was very mediocre. We had a really good team. My junior year, oh, one of my teammates won the thirty two hundred meters. He ran a nine flat and I had several I had two two other friends that could run, you know, 1600 meters, they'd run, you know, the same guy that won ran a 408. The other guys would run like a 415. And I was nowhere near that. I mean, I was, uh, my dad and I have argued about this. I remember that I was in the 430s. My father, who probably has a more accurate memory, says I was about four in the, in the low 440s. So I wasn't very fast. I was very middle of the pack. And, you know, that's been true. And, and I use that as a descriptor. I've been a middle of the pack runner <laughs> really since I was, <laughs> you know, high school to now. Um, yeah. I, in my book, I, I chuckle about the apex of my running career was in sixth grade when I was in great shape and nobody else was. So I won the races <laughs> I entered. <laughs> and what's so funny is now at the age of 52, I'm still moving. And I ran by this morning, I ran four and I ran a tempo run and I just, I warmed up and I just accelerated each mile and I ran by this woman who was out walking. I ran by her twice. And the second time I went by, she goes, Oh my gosh, you're so fast. And I said, I'm keeping you on the payroll. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just, it's funny. If you're at my age, if you're still active, you get accused of being athletic and it's like, no, there's, there's a difference. I, you know, there's a, a wonderful saying that I throw down in the book called motion is lotion. And it's true. And I think that to the extent that you can keep moving and varying how you move, you know, as a runner, if you just go out and run long, slow distance over and over and over, you know, pretty soon that's going to be about all you can do. If you want to run faster and whatever faster means to you, you've got to practice running faster. You know, you've got to go out and do intervals or mile repeats or tempo runs or fartleks or whatever. And you want to be careful. Cause like I alluded to earlier, there is always risk of injury, but it, so I do, I still try to blow the carbon out of the pipes about once a week, although it has become <laughs> a slow, a slower process. Yeah. But, but like you said earlier, it's, it's that, that perceived effort, right? And, and that's one of the great things about running is it really is all about competing against yourself if you want to put it that way it doesn't really matter what what is fast on an elite level or on a competitive level it's it's where you're at in that moment in time and and the effort you're putting forth to whatever your your limitations are right yes i i will time myself in a 5k periodically just to see because that kind of keeps it honest yeah but you know the flip side of that is you know put your watch away i mean i even I have a chapter in the book on you don't have to keep track of everything. Yeah. And you know what? That's a lesson I could learn. It's, 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 it is freeing to run without keeping track of the time and everything. And, and I, for myself, I tend to do that when I'm out on the trails and I just want to enjoy everything around me. But um, it is very hard. I, I don't remember the last run I did without, without my watch on and, and having the timer going and peeking down to see what my pace is, especially in recent times. Um, just the way my, my schedule and life have been structured. I've been on a time crunch. So a lot of my runs are, are short, more intense runs just to get the best uh, bang for my buck, if you will. So I'm, I'm always kind of 
watching that clock and watching my pace. <laughs> yeah, I and I suffer from the same malady, Sean. It, you know, lawyers as a as a group of people tend to be neurotic and all caught up with external measurements anyway. But you know, it, the watch can sap joy, and so there's nothing wrong with keeping track of stuff. But you know, for example, me and my running buddy, we will we have this pattern of conversation where we'll be out and we'll be talking about the old days, you know, when we were faster. And, you know, but if you go back to the old days, we, you know, we were still pretty middle of the road <laughs> at that age. Yeah. So it's kind of a humorous conversation pattern that, that happens. And then we, then one of us will go, stop, stop. This is the, we are blessed to be out here. Let's enjoy the fact that we could still do this, that we're still doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it kind of leads me into the next question. We've touched a little bit about it, but often runners, um, you know, they can tend to take themselves quite seriously with watching the, their times and their, and their distances and everything. And a lot of times for recreational runners, such as ourselves, um, and I've seen, I've had friends that have had this happen to them where it kind of leads like a physical and mental burnout. And some of them actually even just walk away from it. Um, you know, so over the past 40 years, how would you say you've managed to avoid these pitfalls? I know, I think you've touched on a little bit here, but uh, maybe you can go into a little bit more in depth if there have been specific strategies that you've employed, or maybe you have fallen into these kind of pitfalls in the past and had to struggle out of them. I, I have. I, I, for example, I only ran one marathon, and that there's a reason for that. Um, when I was training for it, I, I just went in head over heels uh, and it really wasn't fair to my family because as a trial lawyer, I have a pretty full schedule, um, very, very active practice, very busy. And that was a season when my children were younger and all four of them were at home. And that really wasn't fair to my family. Um, the way I went at it, someone else could have gone at it less uh, devotedly, perhaps. So, you know, we have to recalibrate and it's like a ship that's going across the ocean that's headed to a destination and just gets a couple of degrees off compass and then goes a few nautical miles on its way off course. And that happens to us often. Those of us who are disciplined or think we're disciplined or we're serious about it, you know, we have to constantly recalibrate and, you know, things are always changing, Sean. I mean, now I don't have little kids in the house, but I have a body that I can't run seven days a week. I can't. I mean, I'm not an Ironman. It, I will break down. Mm -hmm. You know, I run in the summer. I run four days a week. I walk a lot too. In the winter, I run three days a week. Maybe once in a blue moon, I'll run four days a week. But you know, for me, um, injuries have had that that limiting role. You know, it's funny. I would pray for balance. Oh Lord, please help me to be balanced in my life and. I'm thinking God's going to touch me with the magic balance wand. Well, what happens is I end up getting injured because I'm not balanced. And lo and behold, I got to take a season off. And so some of it also has been a slow learning curve because I'm a very slow learner, you know, and, and listening to pain, discerning what is good pain versus what is bad pain, because there is a difference. I write about that in the book. But yeah. for me, it's so important, given the, the challenges in my practice of law, to have something that's utterly not law. <laughs> it's like matter and antimatter. So, you know, when I'm running, it's, it's just a different thing. I spend enough time under fluorescent lights to get out in the elements. For me, that really hits the spot. And 
you know, in Minnesota, one of the great things is that we have four seasons. I went to college in Santa Barbara, California, and I always tell people, hey, four years in Santa Barbara will ruin you because the weather is perfect. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's just perfect. And Minnesota isn't perfect. As my father once put it, Dave, it's a nice place to live, but you got to admit the weather's brutal. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's true, but I love running in the winter. I love running in the summer. I love hot, hot, humid runs. I love freezing, freezing, cold, windy runs. Running in the spring, a time of hope. There's nothing like that when the green, when you, there's freshness, there's life in the air. Running in the fall when there's that, the beautiful colors that we get here in Minnesota. You know, each yeah. season makes you appreciate a different facet of nature, of creation. And so... I don't want to go too, you know, hardcore here on you, but no. I, I really like to run. So the next question, gee, Dave, you don't like to run inside, do you? No, I don't. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I have run, I've run plenty of miles on treadmills, but the last five years I've made a concerted effort. I run outside all winter and I, three years ago I slipped and I broke, broke my hand. I actually fell twice in about a 10 day period and I didn't know my hand was broken. I was doing pull-ups and it was just hurting so badly. And I finally went to a, hand surgeon I know and she's like oh yeah you, you broke your hammock bone that's why it hurts <laughs> oh my goodness but anyway I, I I'll quit talking and let no you no I think you know what <laughs> I think to hear you describe what, how the way you look at the different seasons and everything in Minnesota uh, I think you and I are two peas in a pod there because um, I'm living in central Ontario in Dufferin County and it's it's primarily a farming county. I think I just read recently we have over like 110,000 acres of prime agricultural land. So I live in a small town surrounded by farmland so I can go out my door and within um, a kilometer um, of my front step I'm out in the country and there's there's trails, there's hills, there's, you know, row upon row of corn and, and all other um, produce that's growing. So um, living where we do live they also call it the highlands so we get a ton of snow up here in the winter and usually our first snowfall is is somewhere in october and then it eventually melts and then <laughs> you know it's uh it, it's it's a long winter up here and there's a lot of wind and everything but um i would i would agree with you i love running outside in the winter some of my favorite runs have happened on a winter's night when you know the wind is low it's a clear sky and the moon shining and you're just running on the on the freshly fallen snow or whatever it's just okay. nothing that really crunch. beats that you know that yeah the crunch of oh, that yeah. snow and that crisp air that's yeah and and you know i was um listening to some of your other appearances on other podcasts and you and uh you had talked about um you know there's no such thing as bad weather it's just being uh underdressed for the weather not dressed appropriately and that's so very true um We've had, you know, polar vortex here where it gets down to minus 40 Celsius. I'm not sure how that equates to Fahrenheit, but it's cold. And, uh, yeah. you know, I've been in those runs and, you know, I've, I've got to the point where I'm, I'm, I'm going to unzip my jacket here because I'm, I'm a little bit warm. <laughs> You're just in the layers, right? And, and stuff like that. So, so. Yeah. I, and I don't know the conversion either, but yeah, I'll, I will routinely run 10 milers, you know, outside on, on the weekends, uh, in the winter and it'll be 10 below and you know, the issue is not the ambient air temperature and that's Fahrenheit. If it, if the wind's really blowing, you gotta be sensible, but I'm always taking my gloves off 
after five miles yeah. and you know, letting the steam go off my hands and, and you get the little hoar frost because you, <laughs> the hair on my hands will freeze, but yeah. they're not cold. Um, you know, conversely, I've dressed inappropriately for the weather a few times and there's, that's just absolutely miserable. And you talked about the wind. You've got to know which way the wind's blowing and yes. you've got to account for it. And it's much better to go out into the wind and then come back with the wind pushing you. Agreed. If, agreed. If you're going to do an out and back, just make sure you do that. But yeah, I ran, we had the Minnesota polar vortex about a year and a half ago and you know, it was minus 29 one day and that's probably not as cold as it gets where you are, but it was the coldest I'd ever run in. That wasn't with the wind chill. That was just the ambient. And I ran out of my health club that morning and people were all like, you are absolutely nuts. And I'm like, no, it's an adventure. You know, I got to go to work after this. I'm going to go have some fun for a while. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And when I do mention minus 40 Celsius, that is with the wind chill. So I just looked it up real quick. And, and oddly enough, minus 40 Celsius is equal to minus 40 Fahrenheit. Oh, wow. Just, I guess Maybe. it's a sweet spot in the scale. <laughs> yeah, you got you got me beat because my, my coldest run was minus 29. So Yeah. So. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's cold, cold. But um, it's funny, I appreciate a lot of the stories you've been sharing. I'm going to share with you my, my uh, one of the stupidest things I've done in a run and talking about being underdressed. So uh, there's one year I had, I wanted to run a marathon distance, not in a race, I just wanted to, you know, challenge myself to see if I could do it. And it was March out. Uh, and it was a warm day, it was about plus eight degrees Celsius. So it was, it was pretty warm. And uh, I thought today would be a great day to go for a run. I was feeling inspired and I thought I'm going to go run. So eight Celsius is about 46 Fahrenheit. So I dressed appropriately for that weather. It was sunny and I figured I would run on one of the back roads. It's a dirt road and just run out, you know, um, half the distance and then turn around and come back. So first half of the distance was pretty good. I knew that I would um, run into some hills and uh, of course, I attacked the hills. I didn't take them easy. And I made it to the halfway point and I turned around. And at about the, I don't know, 26 kilometer mark, I started feeling like I was slowing down a little bit and started feeling pains here and there. And, and I tapped into my candies <laughs> for, for some energy. And, sure. and then the weather decided to change on me. And this and strong wind blew in and these clouds came in. And all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of a sleet storm. And I'm getting all this hard, hard sleet hit me in the face. And I've got these light gloves on. I'm just wearing like a long sleeve running shirt. I don't have a jacket or anything. And starting to get cold. Then it turns to snow and the wind picks up. And, and I'm getting into a whole bunch of suffering at this point. And I'm running and then I'm walking and then I'm running and walking. And then I, eventually I'm just walking because I can't even feel like I can physically run anymore. And in the back of my mind, I knew I would see my minivan coming down the road with my wife and kids because I was taking such a long time. Sure. And, you know, five minutes, five minutes after that thoughts are replaying in my mind. Sure enough, there they were. They came down and my, my wife rolls the window down. I can feel the heat coming out of the out of the car. And she says, do you want to get in? And <laughs> I, I almost jumped in the car and I thought, I can't. I've got I've got, you know, nine kilometers left to go and I'm never doing this again. So I just want to finish it. <laughs> So, so my kids were there and, you know, that gave me a little bit of, um, I guess, extra energy or what have you. And I managed to, to take a few strides and run a bit. And then I started walking and they stayed with me long enough for the kids to get cranky. So she took off to Tim Hortons to go pick up some snacks for them and donuts or whatever. And she ended up coming back and I had some 
I had some of those and uh, we parted ways because the rest of my run was going to be through a little trail system to get back to the house. And I ended up, I managed finishing um, this marathon distance in like five hours and 40 minutes or whatever. And I suffered for that last bit. It was pretty stupid because I hadn't had any training either. It was just, it was just a, I'm going to go do this now. And I did it. (laughs) That's brutal. It was absolutely brutal. I, I tend to do stupid things every once in a while like that. So. Figured I'd have to share one of my stories with you too. Now it's good. You know, a, a lot of times you bring up a great point. Um, one of my buddies at the health club about a year ago came in and he was grimacing. I'm like, what's wrong, Jamie? He's like, oh, I ran for 40 minutes yesterday. I'm like, you ran for 40 minutes yesterday? I said, well, when was, you know, I asked him, you know, what inspired that? But when was the last time you ran 40 minutes, Jamie? Oh, uh, you know, like in high school or college and yeah. my age. Yeah. Like, well, you know, don't, don't do that. You know, what you want to do is, you know, set a goal that's achievable, you know, in terms of if you're going to start physical activity that you haven't done before, but runners are like that. I, I've been, you know, these days I, you know, I'll run four or five, three times a week. And then I'll maybe run a 10 miler on the weekend. Yeah. And then we were down at my brother-in-law's lake place about two or three weeks ago. And I like to try and run around the lake when we're down there. And I hadn't tried for a few years and, it's anyway, I, I ended up doing it was 20 miles around and my buddy, my running buddy was like that. You are a rockhead, Dave. What did you do that for? You're just going to get hurt. You know, it's a, don't do things like that. And yet there's something in many of the runners that I know that we go and we do these foolish things, even though we know better. Yeah. Uh, I, I encourage other people don't do dumb things like I do instead, you know, be measured in your approach, set attainable goals it, things that you can accomplish so that you don't get injured or don't get frustrated and then quit. Yeah. And, and that's the thing you don't want to end up quitting. And, and when I started out running um, again, that was my goal. I think I had mentioned earlier just to run as long as my body would allow me because previous experience and things that I had done, I had done bodybuilding in my younger years. I noticed, I think you have a son that's, that's uh, doing some bodybuilding right now. I do. I know it's on your Instagram page. Yeah, he looks great. Tom, great job, by the way. <laughs> I so will. I, I, I kind of got, you know, that into my head and I wanted to do a competition. And my goal was to, you know, get on the stage and look like I belong there. I didn't have any aspirations of winning. And, you know, I managed to to get that goal accomplished. And and after that, I went back to the gym and I had no more desire to be there. I felt like, okay, I hit my goal and I don't really want to do that again. So I stopped. I kind of burnt my bridges in the gym. And uh, then I kind of got into some martial arts and I said, oh, I'm going to, I want to get into the ring and, and see what I'm made of. And I had done that. And, um, you know, life kind of catches up with you and it, it, I couldn't fit in the, the lessons anymore. So that stopped. So I knew when I started running and I was going to get back into shape because, you know, in the, in the off time, I got uh, kind of unhealthy and I thought, okay, don't screw this up, Sean. Just what's your goal? Your goal is to run for the rest of your life. Done. <laughs> so. You know, and I can, you can have little mini goals in between there, run a certain distance or run a time, but, but the, I'm, I'm in it for the long term. you know, I am, I am too. And, you know, Scott Adams, the creator of the Dilbert comic strip yes, uh, has a book out and he talks about goal setting and he, <laughs> and he says, goals are for losers. Uh, and he goes <laughs> on and what he's getting at is that if you set a goal and you don't achieve it, you feel poorly about yourself. If you set a goal and you do achieve it, then you just, you have momentary satisfaction and you have to start all over again. So what he really gets at is more of a long-term goal setting. He doesn't call it that, Yeah. but you know, short-term goals are wonderful. Long-term goals are useful. Um, 
but you know, goals can be abstract. They don't have to be time related, you know, being, having an element of fitness, having an element of aerobic activity in your day, it's going to do something for you. I think it's going to, you know, there are studies that show that long-term it's good for the brain. You know, we know that there are health benefits with it. And again, I'm not saying everybody has to go out and run a ton of miles. That's not it. But being active, whether you're walking or whatever aerobic activity you're doing, you know, I just, I just happen to love running. So, you know, that, that's my, that's my thing. But, you know, running is like an accelerant. It's like an enhancer. So you're an EMT. Um, well, there are some medications that people will take that will accelerate the effects of other medications. Are you familiar with that concept? Absolutely. So, and in my business, as I run into that with certain medications where they'll, they'll prescribe and it's an off label use of the second medication, but the idea is to enhance the, the primary medication, the effects of that delivery system. And that's what running is. Running is an accelerant. It's a, it's an enhancer. I mean, there's joy in running itself, but it also gives you that catharsis that we talked about earlier. You know, catharsis is a great word. It's the purging of unhealthy emotions. And, um, you know, that, if you go back to Greek tragedy, um, you know, catharsis, that, that was the idea. You're going to get catharsis through watching drama. And there's catharsis with running. There's it's not, Purging isn't the right word, but you get a benefit. Not only are you enjoying the activity, but you get a long-term benefit. It heats, heats your core up. You're going to burn calories more efficiently, all of the above. So I'm a huge proponent of running. I realize not everybody's going to go at it the same way I do, but you know, back to what I said earlier, motion is lotion. And boy, the other, the flip side of that is use it or lose it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mentioned my dad earlier and you know, he's still very active. He's coming, he's 79 this fall and he's remarkably active. And, you know, my hope is when I grow up, I'll be like my <laughs> old man. <laughs> got, got to keep moving. Absolutely. And I think a lot of, a lot of sons uh, out there strive to be like their fathers when they grow up. And uh, that's great to hear. And it's great to hear your dad is still active. I think, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, as they say, living the dream <laughs> True. from my perspective, anyhow. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Dave, it's it's really been great having you on the show. I've really enjoyed our conversation, a lot of the insights um, that you've obtained over your 40 years of running. And again, your book, uh, Lessons Learned on the Run, is available on Amazon. And there's a paperback and Kindle version, if, I, yeah. if I'm saying correct. Yeah. So I will link that to the show notes so our listeners can know where to find it very easily. Um, is there any other way that uh, people can contact you or reach you if they have any questions or would like to um, connect with you? A great place would be LinkedIn. Sure. That's where we connected actually. Yep. So or my Instagram page, David underscore Kempston, but LinkedIn's the easiest. It's just David Kempston. And uh, I'm the attorney. There might be another one out there from Michigan who's a psychologist, but Dave Kempston, the lawyer, um, that, that one's me. Minnesota guy. Awesome. You know what? I have one more question before we do go, Dave. Uh, Taz, is Taz your dog? <laughs> Taz is my daughter's dog. Taz is your daughter's dog. Okay. Have, <laughs> he's half pit bull and he's, 
and half blue healer and you cannot wear him out <laughs> no so that leads to, that leads to my follow-up have you ever run with him or tried to run with him yes he's not a great runner he's very he's very hyper and he likes to chase and he loves to go on walks but when i run with him after about a mile he's really lagging really lagging and then you know it's almost like i'm pulling this sled behind me yeah. and i so I've run with him a lot, but it's not very nice to him. And so what I'll often do <laughs> is I'll run a mile. I'll run a mile, just a short mile, and then I'll with him, and I'll let him go, and then back at home, and then, then I'll go finish my run. Yeah. <laughs> that way he gets the exercise. But the hilarious thing is I can run it for a mile. I mean, if I run it for three miles, he's dog tired. Pun in, no pun intended. <laughs> then 10 minutes later, he's all ready to go again. You're like, oh, come on. Couldn't you give me a better effort on the run? So he's, yeah. he's pretty funny. Yeah, the, the, the recovery rate is pretty quick. But I have, um, I have a puppy at home. She's a husky mix. And um, I've, I've started to kind of get her out running with me. And she, she because she's a husky, she does like to pull a lot. But then we, <laughs> we get into a rhythm. And she's gone out for a couple 5K runs with me. And, uh, you know, she's pretty, she's pretty drained for the rest of the day, which is good because she's, she's super high energy as well. And then I give her rest. We're just building a base right now, but there's a, there's a great sport out there. I learned from one of our, our listeners, uh, in New York, it's called Canacross. And the idea is that you have, um, like a bungee leash around your waist and you let the dog yeah. lead, you let the dog lead and let them pull. And I think it originated in Europe for Huskies who are on off season outside of the winter where they can't mush, I guess. And you kind of let them go. And uh, it's been really enjoyable having that four-legged companion along. So I thought I'd ask about Taz and see how that is too. Taz sounds more of a sprinter than a long distance guy. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show again. And uh, the book is Lessons Learned on the Run, a book about running and life by David Kempston. And Dave, I'm going to leave you with a customary phrase here at Trail Tales ARP, and that is to run wild. Thank you, Sean. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to Trail Tales ARP. If you like our show, please help us out by subscribing to our show so you don't miss any new episodes. Also by leaving us a review. And please visit trailtalesarp.com where you can get even more content. You can also follow us on Instagram at trail underscore tales underscore ARP on Facebook at Trail Tales ARP. See you next week. <laughs>